0: Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 26 of Everyday Buddhism, Making Everyday Better. It's an exciting week. Our Everyday Sangha launches this Thursday, April 25th at 8 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. I'm excited. I hope those who are um, new members of the Sangha are excited. Um, It is a virtual Sangha. So, you know, we won't be sitting together in the same room, but my intent is for it to feel just like we are sitting together. You know, harnessing the benefits of the powerful video conference technologies available today, we will be sitting together and sharing our practice once or twice monthly using Zoom video conference. You know, soon after I began doing this podcast, I couldn't stop thinking about having a virtual sangha. So many people don't have the benefit of being close enough to a Buddhist center, Buddhist temple, practice group, or anything like that to benefit from participating in sangha. I see it all the time on Buddhist groups on the internet and Facebook You know, where do I practice? What should I do? How can I do this? And, you know, it's funny, too, since I've realized since, you know, I've done 25 episodes since launching this podcast about a year ago or, well, almost a year ago, last June, I hadn't really talked about the Sangha nor any of the Triple Gem, Three Jewels, Three Treasures you know, when I first got seriously interested in Buddhism, beyond just like reading, you know, you know, they call the book Buddhist, where you have all the books piled up on your nightstand. Um, I was a book Buddhist for many, many years. But then I began getting serious about, you know, gee, how do I take this beyond reading, take this beyond studying a philosophy? So when I got that interest, and when I thought I should you know, put it into my life, do something. Um, I was still more connected with the first two treasures, you know, as something lasting and permanent I could take refuge in. You know, the three jewels are supposedly the, the three things you can count on in life, the things that are permanent and lasting, the things you can take refuge in. You know, there's the Buddha, as the teacher Shakyamuni, who lived twenty-five hundred some years ago, and then there's Buddha nature, which is the Buddha or wisdom inside of us. That you know, at that time, I wasn't sure I had connected with, and still it happens on occasion. And then uh, the Dharma, the teachings, the practices, and the wisdom or understanding the ac- the actual Buddha awakened to, the, the truth of things as they are. These things I knew I could take refuge in. But, you know, the Sangha wasn't something I initially connected to. The term Sangha had traditionally referred to, you know, monastics and arhats that we as lay Buddhists could also take refuge in. But now in the West, where Sangha really has come to mean any community of Buddhist practitioners generally, both you know, monastic and lay. Buddhists here also use the word to describe even a specific community or a group. You know, you hear them say my sangha, meaning the Buddhist community to which I belong, it's like my church. But from either the traditional perspective or the more recent current perspective, I was not sure about Sangha back when I started getting serious in the 1990s. Was the Sangha really a treasure in today's world? Was it important to get together with others to practice Buddhism? You know, I had a trepidation or maybe a mistrust of the group spiritual or the group religious. I think... Many of you, or some of you, either can identify with that, or you know, ha- could identify with it at some point in your life. That group religious or group spiritual connoted to me this um, the sphere I had of being involved with groupthink, which then was synonymous to like prejudice and conformism and judgmentalism and up to the point of being cults it seemed to me at the time to me that it was really about me studying about me learning and practicing the dharma in my private little own private little relationship with the buddha while i sat on my cushion which just goes to show you how I hadn't really incorporated the teachings, thinking any of this Buddhist practice was really about me, just me. So my experience being part of a Sangha proved to me how wrong my thinking was and exposed me to the jewel or treasure of that third jewel. I've had experience both virtual and real, and Sangha is the thing that came alive to me in my experience. And Sangha is the aliveness that is Buddhism. It's the aliveness that takes Buddhism beyond just a study or a philosophy to something that is applied, which is what the Buddha implied or intended all along. You know, I see a lot of comparison these days in Facebook and so forth to the philosophy. The philosophy is Stoicism or Stoic philosophy, and there are a lot of comparisons. But you know, the difference between Buddhism and Stoicism. Are there really a whole lot of alive groups, you know, practicing Stoicism? I mean, is are are there virtual or? real in-person groups, you can actually practice that? Or is it more of a philosophy? You know, I've said this before in other podcast episodes. Buddhism is experiential, meaning if you don't practice it, it doesn't work. Sangha helps you try on and try out your practice, turning the concepts or the philosophy and ideas into part of your life. And more importantly, I think, it's about keeping you honest or keeping me honest in my intention and your intention to apply the Dharma, to apply the teachings of the Buddha to life. You know, whenever we try to learn a new skill or discipline or change our habits It helps to have someone who understands our intention, understands our commitment. It helps to have that person to keep us honest. You know, maybe you're extremely self-disciplined and you accomplish things quite easily alone through your own grit. But even then, how do you know you've really got it? Unless you rub up against the rough edges of someone else who can call you on your BS. You know, Titnot Han says that in his tradition people say when a tiger leaves the mountain and goes to the lowland it will be caught by humans and killed. When practitioners leave their sangha, they will abandon their practice after a few months. I think that is so true. I have abandoned my practice, you know, in between being involved in a real life sangha and being involved in the Bright Dawn virtual sangha, it was so easy to drift out of practice, to 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 even, you know, forget or um, that that was an intention I had to begin with. To forget the Dharma, to forget the Four Noble Truths. There is another thing I learned about being part of a sangha, and that is. Even if I don't have a special role to play in the Sangha, my being part of one is an offering of support to the other members of the Sangha. I am there, offering whatever inspiration or positive motivation or even passive support I can, if it's even just a smile or a, I understand I've been there too. To be totally honest though, Being in a Sangha brings you up against the very human things that can make you crazy. Or maybe I should say, make me crazy. These things like uh, self-importance and selfishness, judgment, pettiness, emphasis on comfort, modeling doing it right all the time. These very things are reflections in a mirror. That is Sangha. You know, Buddhist practice doesn't relieve us of being exactly who we are in all our human weaknesses. Remember the first noble truth. We will still feel sad. We will still feel depressed or confused or discouraged time and time again. But our practice lets us see that we are bigger than these experiences. Like clouds, they come and go and don't define who we are at our core. We learn to face our lives and our issues as they are, rather than denying or distracting. We become more honest with ourselves, and then that helps us be more honest with others. We accept ourselves as part of humanity. That is the taste of enlightenment that we can get, I think, only by being part of a sangha. In a sangha, we are regular people. In a sangha, we come just as we are. We come working on practices, not being people who are already perfect. As the 18th century Japanese Zen master Haikun wrote, Quote, As with water and ice, there is no ice without water. Apart from sentient beings, there are no Buddhas. I think there's another quote by another Zen master that I used to have up on my Zen on my Facebook wallpaper that said, "Where you f- where you find Buddhas, you will find flies." Sanghas are needed for the very reason that much of our life revolves around the internet and virtual communications. So here I am trying to create a virtual sangha for all of us, and yet I think in some ways it's interesting. It's like the anecdote to the distance that virtual communications have brought into our lives. These virtual communications have in large part become, you know, public squares where people come to give their opinion on everything, not caring much about how other people feel or could possibly react to their opinion on everything. Social media and texting have created a culture where it's all about you, what you eat, what movies and TV you watch, what you read, what politician you love or hate what policy you support or are against, what you believe you should eat and what you shouldn't eat, and what you therefore believe someone else should eat and what they shouldn't eat, and on and on and on, all you, all the time. And these media outlets are as close as the phone in your hand so you can spout your opinions 24-7. And, you know, if someone disagrees with you, the seeming standard in this internet life is to go on the defensive and attack. The disagreement is disembodied. Think about that. The disagreement is disembodied. We don't feel the other person on the other side of the issue as a person. It's just us and our screen. There is no other person over there. Just a problem for you spouting your opinion, causing you trouble. You know, you may think I'm a Pollyanna. Or as John Lennon wrote, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. So I believe, as I think many of my bright dawn and everyday Buddhist friends believe, that using the powerful platform of internet technology and virtual video conferencing To create sangha is a strong and real step to help heal the harmful divides and the prevailing sense of me versus other that seems to rule almost everything in our culture. You know, Gyome Sensei said, World peace begins with gashou. Sangha is gashou. Gashou is recognition, gratitude, and respect for the other. And it at its core, Gasho is a physical reminder that we are just like the other, with palms together, one hand is you and the other is me. Kabunshino Roshi wrote in Lion's Roar magazine, in Gasho with palms together, All kinds of dualism, man and woman, past and future, parent and child, teacher and student, they all come together in front of you as you bow. The hands fit together perfectly, so they must have been one before, otherwise such identical opposites could not exist. We may say man and woman were one before. Teacher and student are not different entities but one, so they can feel like each other. They can feel each other, touch each other. A Agasho is like that. He continues to say, by being separated, you cannot feel the beginning place. When you touch your cheek, you feel, yes, it is a cheek. And it is a hand, both, as if from a blind state. This is both an intimate and independent practice, this life. In such a lost state, touching is very important. Being recognized by someone, recognizing someone without destroying the other is a very, very important subject. A gasho, you instinctively feel, is not just a Buddhist activity. It is before and beyond and it feels good. And as that dreamer, I do feel as if sangha is the collective expression of gashou. As I said before, I have been fortunate enough to practice with both real-life, in-person sanghas and with virtual sanghas. Despite initial concerns and what others may think, Participation in virtual Sangha is as deep and meaningful of a Sangha experience as in person. You know, the only thing missing is the smell of incense, the feeling of a body next to yours during meditation or chanting periods, and for me as a hugger, a warm hug when meeting or saying goodbye. My entire experience with the Bright Dawn Center of Oneness Buddhism, from ministry training, through lay minister meetings, to coordinating and teaching new classes, and with Bright Dawn's virtual public Sangha, Live Dharma Sunday, it's all been virtual. And less virtual in most cases than a video conference-based Sangha, as most Bright Dawn activities to date have been phone, Skype, Internet, radio-based, audio-only participation. But this did not make the Sangha any less important or meaningful. The Bright Dawn Sangha has been my rock for more than 10 years. My Sangha, my spiritual community, is made up of many people, including my sensei, who have become cherished friends, advisors, teachers, and over the years also people who have challenged or troubled me. But in those challenges, are rough edges initially rubbing shined a light on where I needed to go deeper in my practice. Offering the practice itself of looking at where I needed to pause, where I needed to reflect and look at my own view, my own intent, and my own behavior. You know, the rough edges are there. They're on all of us. We rub into them all the time with everyone, our families, our friends, our co-workers. But unlike family, co-workers, and friends outside the Sangha, our Sangha is there for the same reason we are, to practice living aligned with Buddhist principles, with Buddhist worldview and the Eightfold Path. In Sangha, our intention points us all in the same direction, at least initially. We may get lost, we may stumble, we may disagree on the right path to take us forward, but we are all pointed in the same direction, united in intention. Quote, intention charts the course of our whole being, Jack Cornfield tells us in his book, The Wise Heart, which, by the way, we are currently reading in our Everyday Buddhism book group. He says, quote, By aligning our dedication with our highest intention, we chart the course of our whole being. Then, no matter how hard the voyage and the setbacks, we know where we're headed. The Buddha emphasized that associating with what he called, quote, admirable people, was essential to our success in practice. He defined admirable people as wise practitioners who are firm in their conviction that spiritual practice is important and are strong in virtue, generosity, and discernment. It is written in the Pali Sutra that talks about this like this. Venerable Ananda went to the Blessed One, and on arrival, having bowed down to the Blessed One, sat to one side. As he was sitting there, Venerable Ananda said to the Blessed One, or the Buddha, This is half of the holy life, Lord. Admirable friendship. Admirable companionship. Admirable camaraderie. The Buddha said, Don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable camaraderie is actually the whole of the holy life. When a monk has admirable people as friends, companions, and comrades, he can be expected to develop and pursue the noble eightfold path. And that is my goal for this everyday sangha. And that is, I think, the goal of every Sangha everywhere, to have help and help each other, support each other in following the Eightfold Path. The everyday Sangha of everyday Buddhism will help me support you and will help you support me. And together we will support all those in our immediate everyday Sangha and in the Sangha we find with our families, friends, and co-workers. May it be so. So that's it for today's episode. Thank you for joining me, and thanks to everyone who listens to the podcast, comments on my website, or the public Facebook book group, and of course to those of you who have donated and helped keep the content written, produced, and distributed, and to help me expand our reach through the public Facebook group, the book study group, and to those donating to create and sustain our special Sangha. Please consider supporting the work to sponsor more of these great activities and continuing podcasts through a recurring or one-time donation through the Donate tab on my website, everyday-buddhism.com or everydaybuddhism.com. Until next time, keep making your. Every day's better.